I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Take my ears out. John's Gospel is uh, one of my favorite Gospels. I have four favorite Gospels, but I love John. But John is dangerous. And I don't mean dangerous in, oh, he's going to challenge us out of our complacency dangerous. I mean literally dangerous to human beings and civilization and good things happening for people. Because John breaks the world up into us and them. The whole gospel is a trial. Um, there, There are hostile interlocutors for Jesus all the time. He's against the Jews, and he's against the Pharisees, and he's against the Romans, and he's always testifying and witnesses, and it's, it's the whole story is a courtroom drama, which, and, and in, in John's telling, the world is uh, divided into black and white. There's us and them. They're the insiders who get Jesus, who understand what he's saying, and they're the outsiders who will never get Jesus, and so we have that theme here today. And uh, a few years ago, I would have thought anti-Semitism was a thing of the past, but no, so I can't let it go unsaid that John's gospel is anti-Semitic. It just is. He blames the Jews for not getting Jesus and not jumping on board the conversion train, and therefore they are the enemies of the gospel. And thankfully in the church, certainly in the 20th century, I recommend Rosemary Radford Ruther, who among other writings said conclusively that John was not okay with the Jews and that we need to reject that part of John's legacy. And I'm on that train 100%. And so when we hear about the Jews again and again in John's gospel, particularly on the Good Friday reading, uh, we need to do some work to interpret it in a healthy way. And for me, the Jews in that negative sense that John uses is not the Jews, Judaism, but rather those who have attached themselves to their particular religious tradition, and basically me. So the Jews are me, the ones who say, I know my religion, I have a tradition, I'm a member of this club, and our club is the best club, and if you're going to challenge me, you're going to make me uncomfortable, and so I'm going to push back against the ideas that make me uncomfortable. That's the phenomenon of religiosity that uh, I think gets rightly Um, dismissed or or, uh, refuted in John's gospel, not Judaism per se. So I have to set that to one side. And the other thing, in the modern era of social media and misinformation, there is a very dangerous element to this notion that there's a select group of people who hear the truth and everybody else is misinformed or dangerous or wrong. And, you know, you get this kind of uh, attitude in the matrix where even if you, you're innocent, you're an unwilling participant in the matrix and you could turn into an agent at any time. And there's this, again, black and white mentality that gets people riled up and becomes easy to exploit by bad actors politically. And we're seeing that as well in American and Canadian political culture today. And John's gospel from the Christian side of things plays right into that because if you are riled up about elites who are wrecking us with the religion of wokeness, then you're going to say, I have the truth and I listen to Jesus and I know everything and don't confuse me with science or other, you know, things that that, uh, contradict my point of view because I have the truth. I'm in the club. I see where other people don't. And so John is literally dangerous. And yet I love John because he's right. The problem is it's subtle. 
And most people don't like subtle. Subtle is hard. Subtle is ambiguous. Subtle is not filled with certainty, but with intuitions and hunches and just the sense that something is probably moving in this direction, which is not an easy place to be when what you just want are some answers. So I think John is right about how the sheep that can hear Jesus' voice can hear it because they have a relationship with Jesus and that privileges them to a kind of information that is not accessible to the opponents in this story, namely the Jews, the authorities. And in this example, you have the, the Jews putting Jesus on the spot. It's exactly like a cross-examination in court where they are saying, are you the Messiah, yes or no? Classic say it or not. And the problem with the question is that it's based on a framework which Jesus rejects. And Jesus is coming from a completely different framework. And so he answers with a non-answer. I keep telling you who I am and you don't listen. Now that's not because he's whispering secret things to a cult leader who's then going to tell you those secret things. It's quite the opposite. He's being very open about who he is. Just listen to what he says about himself. And he says things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I, I, I'm here because I care about truth. I care, I've come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He said all these things which tells you who he is and the problem with the word Messiah in that context is that they use that word and it doesn't mean what Jesus means. And so he says, I and the Father are one. We are one. We are one being. We have one mind. We have one agenda. Um, and they go, well, is, are you saying you're the Messiah? That's your word, not mine. And so we as Christians would say, for us, he is our Messiah. Yes, that word works. But we are using the word Messiah in a very, very different way than what the word meant at the time. We also use words like salvation to mean something very, very different than the word salvation normally means if you're being invaded by hostile invaders. To be saved is for the cavalry to come and beat up the invaders and, and send them home. That's what being saved means. And we use it in a spiritualized sense. And thus it is with the kingdom of God, with eternal life. I have come to bring eternal life. So I'm not going to kick out the Romans. I'm sorry. Does that mean I am the Messiah or I'm not the Messiah? Well, it depends on what your frame, frame of reference is. And that's complicated and nuanced. So it's true that Jesus is our Messiah because we have a relationship with Jesus which allows us to hear the voice of Jesus, which transforms us and gives us eternal life. And thus we are saved. We are brought into the kingdom of God. We become one with Jesus as Jesus is one with the Father. This is some quoting here. Um, and we are completely transformed and we receive eternal life. And it's something that can never be taken away from us. And all that is true from a certain point of view, a certain framework. And what Jesus keeps trying to do is invite us into this different framework, and we never want to go. We, for the most part, are like the Jews who say, are you the Messiah? Yes or no. Are you going to heal my COVID? Yes or no. Well, what good are you anyway? If the, you know, how many Christians survived Mariupol compared to non-Christians? 
Is there a statistical difference? If there isn't a statistical, statistical difference, what difference does it make? Why be a Christian? Why aren't you saving people in a way that makes sense within our frame of reference? And Jesus keeps saying, that's not my frame of reference. You were made mortal. You live, you die, you get sick, you have joys, you have sorrows, you have triumphs, you have failures. This is the journey that we were gifted with as children of God. And what Jesus does that brings us into eternal life is changes the frame of reference within which we interpret what we are experiencing. So from our frame of reference, which is, like, which is eternal life, which can never be taken away from us, we evaluate our experience from a completely different way, which transforms who we are and it, it, it transforms our experience of what we do. So from our frame of reference, for example, Brother Lawrence, who did nothing but wash the dishes in his monastery for his whole adult life, led an exemplary and beautiful life. Well, what difference did he make? He did nothing. He washed the dishes. He, you know, he probably didn't save the climate. So it's probably part of the problem, not part of the solution. What kind of dishwasher detergent did he use? So what's the frame of reference, right? But from the frame of reference that Jesus offered was, was he in his place loving what he was doing and who he was with every minute of every day? Yes, he was. And so that is the life to which we must aspire. Whatever it is we are doing, how are we evaluating it? Are we evaluating it based on what political difference we're making, how much we're saving the world today or tomorrow or the next day or what we are doing to give our grandchildren a future? All that, I'm not saying all that's irrelevant, but I'm saying that's not our framework. Our framework is who are we today and what are we doing today? And yes, we know all these things and what's the, I'm going to mangle a quote now deliberately. Um, the Heavenly Father knows you need to care about all these things. Um, but that's not our frame of reference. Our frame of reference we, is we're on a journey with Christ through this temporary life. And this temporal life participates in eternal life, but it isn't eternal life. It's, it's, it's intertwined. It's subtle. It's, it's, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm dodging bullets here. Uh, you, you may not notice, but I'm trying to dodge bullets because I'm trying not to say that this life doesn't matter because it does. It's not like there's pie in the sky when you die and it's only, only things that matter are heavenly things and earthly things don't matter. That's not true. But it's the frame of reference within which we interpret the earthly things that changes everything. And, and a big part of the context of my thinking right now is what to do about this sense of doom and gloom that all of us who are paying attention to news and current events have. We thought that international wars were of aggression were over. We thought that um, authoritarianism was a thing of the past and democracy, you know, the end of history. Woo! We thought that we were progressing towards a more evolved state of human nature and politics and, and relationships. And here we are. And, and so it's easy to get very despondent about the future. And 
where my instincts are. I'm not proclaiming this as if this is settled or that I, I, I've nailed it down because I'm searching for it like you are. But in my search, the readings today push me towards that question of am I really listening for Jesus' voice? Am I really being the sheep for the shepherd here? What does Jesus' voice sound like that the Jews can't hear but that the disciples can that you as the reader of John's gospel who are invited to become an insider because you're given that insider's perspective, you're invited to, to take that experience of reading the gospel and saying, I, know, I get what Jesus is on about. He's, he's saying he's not a Messiah like those messiahs. I'm getting that. And how do I interpret that to how I hear the voice of the risen Christ in my life today? Because that's, that's what John's inviting us into. He's inviting us into eternal life in relationship with the risen Jesus by becoming the sheep to his shepherd and by hearing the voice of that shepherd and following it wherever it may lead because that is the way of eternal life and the other ways are the ways of death. And it's easier said than done because mostly we go back to our comfortable frames of reference. They're what we know, they're reliable, we, you know, everybody else talks that way. So in my own quest, for example, dealing with the problem of the doom and gloom, which is largely due to accepting a frame of reference that says what matters is how much you fix things. The air smelled amazing the other day. The, our neighborhood is exploding in blooms. It is gorgeous. Talk to a guy from Calgary who was here. Uh, he was wanting the neighborhood, friendly guy. He was, he was air-hitting lawns, making some money, just whipping through the neighborhood, knocking on doors, getting whatever cash he could, and airing, air-hitting lawns with a little crew. And, uh, and I saw him a couple of times because I was walking to the office here, and then I walked my dog, and there he was again. So, hello, how are you? And, of course, the dog is the star, and he had to pat the dog. Um, and he was saying, not going to lie, you're making me want to move here. <laughs> right? And that little comment from a visiting 30-something-year-old guy from, where was he from? Calgary? A bunch of them were from Ottawa. A bunch of them were from Calgary. Just on this crew, going around where the work was, um, saying, dude, you live in an amazing place. And I went, huh, I guess I do. Because <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. I was thinking, oh, climate crisis and Putin and authoritarians in Canada and the U.S. and Roe v. Wade and right and I took a guy from Calgary to say nice neighborhood for me to go oh right you know actually the blessings are unfolding every moment and I can't hear them because I'm not listening so for me in my journey what I hear in this reading from John's Gospel is, am I really listening for the voice of my shepherd? He's trying to get my attention, but I can't hear him because I keep saying yes or no. Are you going to fix this or fix that or do things that are within the frame of reference that matter to me? And he keeps inviting me to something bigger, something more holistic, something deeper, and I keep missing it. And so, like me, I invite you to ask that same question. The Good Shepherd is calling us, calling us into a way of interpreting this life with its joys and sorrows and triumphs and failures and struggles and anxieties and, and, and pleasures and all the things that life is and interpret them in a new way, 
a way that says, I am blessing you every moment of every day, and you can be a part of the blessing for those around you, and you can have an abundance of blessing that builds in a virtuous cycle until there is so much blessing you won't know what to do with it. It is the promised land. It is right in front of your noses. If only you can see it. So can we see it? Can we try to open our eyes, open our ears, and hear where that voice is calling us? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.